Hi everyone and welcome back to the Streamtime Podcast. I'm your host Nick Meacham and I'm flying solo this week as we head into the holiday period but I'm thrilled to be back with you for yet another cracking conversation with an industry heavyweight. Today I speak with the Chief Media Officer of the PGA Tour, Rick Anderson. Rick's built a 25-year career with the Tour and is in charge of all aspects of their content and distribution. Uh, which has seen his team grow to over 200 people over the last few years. And all this while they've done major deals with ESPN and Discovery uh, to shift some of their owned and operated content into those major platforms, building a billion-dollar rights business in the process. In this podcast, we discuss why they've decided to do these huge deals with broadcasters, how are they tackling the age problem in golf, the role betting's going to play in consumption and monetization, and how they plan to diversify revenues even further. Rick is one of the more relaxed lawyers I've spoken to, especially given his scale of role and team and, and the money on the table. And I think you'll learn a lot from this one. Now, before I go, don't forget to subscribe or rate us on your platform of choice. And please give us a follow at either at SportsProNick on Twitter, or at SportsPro for the main Sports Road channel on Twitter to keep up to date with more from us. Now, here's me talking to Rick Anderson. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome, Rick, to the, the podcast. Great to speak with you again. Um, and last time, I remember we caught up. Uh, it was earlier this year, if I remember correctly. And uh, obviously, your travels have been quite limited um, by the recent events. How's things now for you? Are you able to get out and about going to all the events across uh, across the country? Or are you still limited in, um, in how you're getting out to most of the PGA Tour events across the country? Yeah, no, we're, we're able to, to travel, um, pretty well now. And, uh, I've just come back from the Ryder cup. So that's where I was, uh, last week. And actually, uh, just prior to the Ryder cup, I was in London, uh, for about 18 days. So things are, uh, are starting to get back to normal. Although, you know, that trip to London was supposed to be in July and it finally happened in September, but, uh, yeah, I was starting to, um, starting to get back to a little bit of a normal uh, pattern of work, which includes a lot of travel, of course. Yeah, I, I, could, only, I could only imagine. Um, talk me through what was the Ryder Cup experience like? Obviously, uh, that's only just, just happened around the corner. Um, what was the experience like to get back out to an event like that? It was amazing, to be honest. I mean, it, it, uh, we, we, on the PGA Tour, you know, we've had a number of events with, um, with pretty normal-sized crowds, but that that particular venue is um, really unique. You know, it, it the whole golf course hugs a really narrow strip of land uh, along uh, Lake Michigan, and when you put uh, forty or fifty thousand people in that little narrow strip, and you know they're all going crazy, just the nature of that event. It was really really cool. It's a great sporting event anytime, but you know coming off of 
where we've all been with no fans and, um, you know, all the limitations that people feel you could just, you could really feel the energy, you know, with the players, the fans, everybody involved. It was, it was a great event. Yeah, I can imagine. I think the the energy at the best of times with the Ryder Cup is pretty off the charts. And I think uh, after all the the last year and a half plus we've had, I could imagine it was even more so. Um, so obviously, Rick, you're your chief media officer for the PGA Tour, um, and I see the, the Gator Cup in the in the shot there because obviously you guys are HQs in in Florida, um, and you're leading a team of uh, I think it's over 200 people within in the business responsible for the major partnerships that you have with major broadcasters like CBS, Discovery, and ESPN, and so on, so on. That's a pretty big remit. So, just can you just talk, paint the picture a little bit there? Where where do your responsibilities lie, and, and maybe where they don't in terms of um, across the the media ecosystem you have at PGA Tour? Yeah, we really, you know, we really um, very deliberately over the last. Uh, several years, made sure to sort of aggregate and connect all of our media businesses. Um, you know, they used to be reasonably disparate. Um, you had, you know, U.S. broadcasting, international media distribution, our digital platforms, uh, and our PGA Tour Entertainment company. And they were all, you know, if you go back ten years ago, they were all sort of running independently. And of course, the the digital platforms. Uh, came into existence uh, in the time that I've worked at the PGA Tour. They didn't even exist at first. Um, and so we've really kind of aggregated all of that. And, and as you see the lines blurring now between linear broadcasting and streaming and um, all of the different things that happen, uh, that, that units become fairly cohesive. So I, I sit on top of that uh, organization and I have, um, you know, Basically, half of the company um, reports to one senior executive, Louis Guaycaria, and the other half of the company reports to uh, Norb Gambuza. And those two guys really, those are the two guys that report to me. And those are the two guys that are running that business um, you know, day in, day out. I guess, I guess one sort of interesting thing about our group is that we, our company made the decision to, to put sports betting which is obviously a huge new uh, area of business under our media uh, wing, and so so that that sits uh, sits with us as well. And so much of the execution of that in the short term is across media platforms. So that's uh, that's the lay of the land. And then I I uh, over the last year, in addition to my sort of day job, if you will, of chief media officer, I've been helping out uh, the commissioner on some strategic initiatives um, uh, that are important to the company that are kind of outside of that, that realm. And one of those is, is certainly our relationship with the European tour. Uh, and you would have read that about our, um, our taking a, a, an ownership stake in European tour productions. And so I'm spending a lot of time on that as well. Um, and uh, really ha having, having a lot of fun with that. So I had a different perspective on the Ryder Cup this week. Because uh, you know we're actually, you know, a, a shareholder of of European Tour Productions, so a little different perspective. Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, while we're on the topic, there, um, I was going to bring it up a bit later on, but could you just talk us through a bit more about what that relationship does look like? I know you guys have an ownership stake, and you just talked about it, but what does that actually mean? What's 
you know, what's what's the role? Are you guys actually playing a more an active role? I imagine as well as taking an ownership stake. But talk us through what why you made that move and what that looks like. Yeah, sure. I you know I think I think um, the, the, as to the why you know we are for years, uh, decades even I would say we we've we've wanted to to be closer with the European Tour and PGA Tour and the European Tour have been really competitors um, and and looked for ways to to partner together but but in reality it's been a lot more competitive than friendly uh, over the years and as, as is the case with a lot of things I think you know the, the when COVID hit all of the organizations in golf really kind of pulled closer together just to figure out how to get the sport started back how to schedule events that had been canceled or reschedule them. And uh, it, it created sort of an atmosphere uh, that was really unprecedented uh, among all of the golf organizations and certainly between the PGA Tour and the European Tour. And so Jay Monahan and Keith Pelley started talking about, hey, why don't we really try to uh, figure out a way to bring our organizations closer together? And so the, you know, the first step we, we, we landed on when we all started talking about that was, you know, why don't we take a, a, a position with European tour productions? We have a pretty significant media presence around the world, a large media team, as you just described. Um, and, you know, we thought it was probably an area where we could be helpful and where our coordination could probably have some immediate benefits uh, in, in terms of deals that are done around around the world and so that was the idea uh, was to to, to to take that formal position that placed me and Louis Goy Korea who I just mentioned on the European tour productions board and placed Jay Monahan on the board of the European tour and so now we we participate in those board meetings and we're fully engaged in the the sort of the, the media position that we took but we're all also now spending a lot of time together with them, really looking at all aspects of, of our two tours and the players that cross between them and trying to figure out, you know, how, how can we how, how can we draw that really closer together, make it cohesive and have it make a lot more sense for for both of us. And so I'm I'm spending a lot of my time on that now <laughs> and uh, and a little less in the in the in the day job of the media space. So I guess that was my reward for getting our our U.S. media deals done uh, back in in March of twenty, and that's the benefit of being um, getting those long term deals in place. Is you stand, you can start to look at where those other those other opportunities are. And I imagine now that you guys are, have got a, such a strong relationship with the European Tour, basically flipping it on its head um, to what it was only a few years ago. Now, in simple terms, the broadcast values of both properties will inherently go up because you'll be able to make sure that the scheduling is there's there's, there's next to no conflict. Whereas before, you'd be having all sorts of challenges uh, along the way. And that in itself will probably drive up the value of both respective businesses immediately once you bring, uh, bring those two worlds closer together. Yeah, that's, that's our, our belief as well. And so let's, let's take a little trip down memory lane, Rick. Um, now, you've been with uh, the PGA Tour for, uh, I think it's the best part of 25 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what that journey's been like. Uh, where did you, what role did you, you take when you joined the organization and how did you get to to CMO and running a, a team of 200 and perhaps probably running one of the most, it's definitely up there with one of the most complex probably media ecosystems uh, in the sports uh, rights, rights on the landscape. 
Yeah, I will agree with that. Uh, that last comment for sure. So it's actually been 26 years uh, as of as of June of this year. Uh, and my, you know, my first role at the PGA Tour was uh, as the PGA Tour's first intellectual property counsel. So I was practicing law in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, really loving it. And actually, just wanted to be closer to a business, but if if at all possible, a sports business. Um, and stop sort of being a hired gun outside lawyer type thing. And this opportunity at the tour just kind of came up at the right time. And um, I took that job and I'd say, I think it was within five years or maybe six, um, I had been promoted to general counsel uh, and then eventually chief legal officer. And so I, I was really you know, building uh, the team, the legal team at the PGA Tour. And you have to remember, you know, Tiger Woods turned pro in 96. Um, I started in 95. And so the the growth in the organization and the sophistication level and the nature of the deals that we were able to do all just sort of skyrocketed. And, you know, we've, we've been able to build the company tremendously, you know, off that period of growth. Um, and so, so that, that might, you know, first probably 13, 14 years, uh, were, were in a legal capacity. And as I mentioned earlier at that time, during that time, you know, digital platforms emerged and iPhones were created and things that, you know, that didn't really exist before. And I, I had, I had started working on our linear television deals almost immediately. Like I, as a lawyer, I worked on our first. Uh, my first deal in 1997, um, and and so I was building a, a sort of a knowledge and expertise on traditional linear broadcasting, and then as digital platforms emerged, it it actually created a lot of conflict in the company because there's this new platform, and it was you know wanted to sell highlight rights and it wanted to take sponsors and it you know wanted to do all of these things. And, you know, the broadcasting people were like, wait a minute, the international media people were saying, wait, that's, that can go anywhere in the world. It's going to violate my, my deals. And you know, PGA Tour, PGA Tour Entertainment saying, well, we own the footage. We should get all the money. Shouldn't we? Now there are like all these disputes that happened because of, and so I was in the middle of all those disputes <laughs> and the, it, you know, the way it's really, it is actually kind of humorous because the way I, I actually went into the job, with no intention, by the way, because um, I really kind of liked my gig at, as chief legal officer. But I was telling then Commissioner Tim Fincham, um, you know, hey, you know, your media business is a mess. Like these guys are arguing with each other and I'm I'm resolving all their disputes. And you really, you know, you, you really need to aggregate it and you need to put somebody in charge of it. And um, it, it'll really run a lot smoother. It was not in any way suggesting myself. I really wasn't. And he came back to me a month or two later and said, you know that, you know that thing you were talking about? You do it. <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened. And really the reason, the, the true reason it happened was because, um, you know, we were doing some of our senior talent management reviews, you know, looking at people that are rising uh, stars in the company. And one of those was Len Brown, who is our now chief legal officer who was working for me at the time. And 
I and others, you know, as part of that said, Len Brown is ready to be general counsel. And as soon as Tim Fincham heard that, he moved me into the media job and said, okay, go do that. And so that was, that started probably around 2009 and, um, and, and, and here I am. So, and we did, as I mentioned earlier, we very, very painstakingly, you know, kind of rebuilt and reorganized those businesses and continue to, to do so honestly. And then the, the, the growth and the value of our rights, the emergence of OTT platforms and robust, real um, quality video consumption on other platforms, the way we had done some of our long-term linear deals that left rights in our bag, so to speak, that we could exploit is sort of all led to the, you know, the, the, the growth in the business where you, you know, wake up one day and there's 220 people or whatever there are and, uh, and growing by the way, based on, on some of our new deals. So that, that's kind of the story. I was wondering, you, you, so you took over the media team in 09, you're working through a lot of those rights deals, uh, beforehand, um, are the contracts bigger now than they were back then? And and um, and also the other question is, uh, how how big was the media team then to what it is now? You said it's two twenty plus now. Oh wow! Probably in '09, um, it was probably you know we hadn't taken digital in house at that point. It was probably half of that. Uh, probably you know maybe just over a hundred, uh, hundred twenty something like that. We, you know, we, we had a lot of growth when we when we took our digital platforms in house in 2013 from uh, Turner, who it was always a wonderful partner, and uh, and that that kind of kicked off a lot of the growth and and, um, and and started the teams rolling at that time. And by co- the contracts bigger, I'm not sure if you mean like the number of pages or the the dollar values, but both both are bigger. Yeah, I mean, look, the number of pages to read as a as a as a lawyer. How how much more work does it take? Yeah, no, it's very complex, as you mentioned. Um, it's a very complex business, and you know, for example, the 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 deals we just did in the U.S. You know, were were each confirmed with what we would we'd call letters of agreement, and the letters of agreement were probably seventy pages in length, and. Now the legal team's working on the definitive agreements, which will be well north of 150 pages, I'm sure, in terms of detail. And I'm trying to be as, as uninvolved in that process as possible. But um, but yeah, the, the 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 you know the, you mentioned it, and you're certainly in the middle of it, Nick. The the uh, the business is a lot more complex these days, and and so it takes more pages to describe uh, the the relative rights that everybody has. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, and, and you've touched upon uh, the growth in the team. And uh, you guys have had a whole host of new major US deals that you've just touched upon. Uh, it'd be great if you could set the scene there a little bit on what are some of those core PGA Tour assets. Obviously, you have your traditional uh, media rights deals in place in certain markets, but you obviously some, have some major partnerships. So what are some of those major partnerships and, and what or what exactly are they and what's the context of them? Obviously, we can dig a bit deeper as we we go along as well. Sure. Well, start, starting in the United States, uh, you know, we we have relationships with Comcast uh, in the form of the Golf Channel and NBC, um, and with Viacom, CBS. CBS is our uh, largest weekend carrier. Uh, Saturday, Saturdays and Sundays have about two thirds of the of the events, and NBC has about a third. And then, um, and that was sort of our world uh, prior to these new deals. 
And uh, starting in 2022, we are now partnered with Disney as well. Again, because we used to have deals with ESPN, you know, a uh, number of years ago. And now we, are, we, we base, and this is, you know, key subject matter for, for this conversation. We, we took PGA Tour Live and essentially, you know, we're shutting it down as a standalone subscription service and selling the content to Disney uh, for uh, inclusion in ESPN Plus. And so that's a new significant relationship for us. That deal, you know, takes PGA Tour Live from, you know, one, one live feed following two groups to four live feeds, uh, the content of which is still, you know, being determined and will be determined, you know, jointly as we move along with the SPN. So, so that, that's the, that's the U.S. lay of the land, just touching on partners for the moment. And then obviously we've talked a lot uh, about our relationship with Discovery um, and Discovery is our, our um, partner in all things uh, international media uh, and are, have been tremendous partners in launching Golf TV and working closely with us on our sub-licensing business as well. And, um, and so that, that partnership has been, has been, um, really, really positive for us. And I, I, I think you want to ask some questions about that, uh, upcoming. So I won't, uh, I won't steal your, your question, but, um, obviously they, they, their business is changing as, as our most media companies. And so, you know, we're adjusting to that. Well, let's yeah, we'll, we'll dig into that one in a second. But uh, the PGA Tour Live one is a great example of uh, another uh, sort of moment we've seen in the industry that got a lot of news, and that was where WWE shifted their platform was lauded as one of the better OTT platforms in the market, huge audience, etc. And they shifted their entire uh, platform from a US perspective, I guess, very similar to you guys uh, in that instance, shifted it into uh, Peacock, I believe, as, as an exclusive uh, product. Huge, huge uh, reaction to the industry because for the last few years, as, as you guys know, as well as anyone, the OTT um, movement has been an incredible transformation of the way sports is being consumed and also the value of building a platform that has first-party proprietary data that you're able to get incredible insight into your audiences, into the industry, into what fans are after, and 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 create all sorts of new opportunities to create revenue through merchandising and other e-commerce solutions as the technology improves. Now, this sort of opportunity comes along, um, and you've obviously got a tough, tough, tough uh, question to ask yourself: is like, where do you get that balance right? Of okay, you. <laughs> of owning owning everything and building build keep building this this offering or taking it to one of the the biggest broadcasters in the US how what is why did you end up making that decision was it ultimately you guys did the numbers and look okay PG, uh, you were, ESPN has a great audience reach they're also willing to pay us a premium for this we ha we have to consider this even though we've put so much work and graft into creating PGA Tour live at the US is it, is it that simple what what goes into making that decision yeah, I mean, you hit you hit on two of the biggest points. I mean, first of all, if you look at what we did with Disney and what WWE did with Peacock, uh, and if you look at how rights deals are being done in the United States uh, with any any major media company that has a a significant streaming platform, they're securing sports rights for those platforms. That there is a powerful dynamic that is 
really good for people who own content rights um, that these the, the media companies are extremely committed to the success of their streaming platforms. It's fundamental, I think, in in their in the the, the success of their businesses because of the shift in in the way consumers are engaging with with content uh, and then the united states the traditional sort of cable model people are leaving and they're moving to streaming platforms and so all the media companies are trying to be in that space and certainly disney was was um was no no different and have done that the same with the spm plus and the the simply put on the financial side the value to an espn plus or a peacock um, is is just significantly greater than any financial model you could pencil out of doing direct consumer subscriptions. Um, there, I mean, by you know, by multiples, there you're you're just not you're not going to get the same way. I'm sure it's the same thing without any direct knowledge that WWE was looking at um, with Peacock. So so it's it, it's a it, it's a it's a financial difference that you really can't ignore. Um, and, and, um, and you do lose things though. You do lose the direct consumer information. You lose the direct connectivity with fans. And so it sort of requires us to work harder to find other ways to do that, you know, with other products, like in our case, the Tourcast product, but in the United States in particular, the attraction of getting our sport back in business with ESPN was also powerful. So beyond beyond the financial uh, gain, which was significant, is the fact that that having the PGA Tour in the sport of golf in in business with and regularly on the ESPN platforms just makes a big difference in the U.S. It, it absolutely does. We were away from ESPN from a number of years. We did great. We had growth. Um, we didn't you know we didn't suffer. But we also look at that audience that ESPN has and think that if we can be more directly in front of them on a more regular basis, we'll do even better and we'll be able to, to grow and diversify our audience. So so that that was a big part of the decision um, as well. And so that, that kind of all came together. Um, and it was uh, when you when you looked at those factors, it's just it was a pretty easy decision. And also the opportunity for you guys is you, you can then for really map out where your revenues are coming from and start focusing on other areas of growth. Uh, betting obviously is on everyone's lips across the U S and it's really only at the early stages and you get the benefit of taking that under, uh, in your, your team. Um, what, what, what are you guys seeing there in terms of the opportunity? You, you had a partnership with open bet. I remember seeing, uh, which you could probably talk us through there, but what is the big opportunity for you? How are you guys going to tap into that? Um, yeah, I guess tap into the betting, the betting revolution, which we, we could probably call it. I don't think it's too dramatic to call it that in the U S when you were, as opposed to in a lot of markets, it's obviously much more matured. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're being very intentional about it, but also very careful. Um, and and so we, we've 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 done a couple of things. One is we've entered into a number of, uh, of official betting operator relationships um, with with a, a number of companies, um, and and tried to to start to get our our brand and our sport in front of 
audiences that are, are there to bet on things and, uh, and get ourselves into that, uh, into that ecosystem. We've done that on very short-term bases and, you know, there's a lot of movement in that industry. And so we're trying to pick partners carefully, uh, but also keep things on a pretty short leash. Um, and so that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is, as you would expect, all of our media partners are pretty interested in sports betting place th themselves. And so we're working very closely with them in terms of creating uh, betting content uh, and being willing to experiment at first with including betting content into, you know, uh, into our shows. Uh, so we've done some of that on the Golf Channel. We'll absolutely be doing some of that on ESPN Plus um, in um, in 2022. And uh, and I I would be shocked if you know it's at some point in the coming years we don't see very specific uh, betting channels uh, to use an old word, but um, you know opportunities for people to engage with with our sport and betting content and with, you know, on a, in a forum that's uniquely oriented to betting. Uh, I think that would, that's something will absolutely happen. One of the great things about our sport in, in the sports betting space is that we have so much data. We have so much different, you know, scenarios and things happening all simultaneously. Um, it's almost like the, the, the perfect sport for betting. If you were going to design a sport for betting, it would be, it would look like ours. And so, so we think the opportunities are really big, uh, but we're being really careful. You know, the last thing we want to do is alienate our core audience. I think, you know, we're still monitoring as is everyone, how do audiences feel about, you know, having betting content introduced in the main feeds. Um, and so far so good, by the way, on that front, we haven't had any, any negative reaction and have had some positive reactions. So I think we, we feel like, um, it's a massive opportunity and we think about it first in terms of gaining new fans, get, you know, getting people to engage with us. If they're, if they're watching us because they put a bet down on something, then they're watching us and that's a good thing and in and of itself and it has positive ripple effect. And then, you know, we're seeing some direct revenue stream from some of these deals that we're doing. And I think, you know, revenue will follow. Uh, if you're, if you're building out engagement, growing your audience, revenue will follow. So I don't, I think there's no question in our minds that, um, that it will be a, a positive, uh, engagement revenue source for us across the board. So we're very focused on it. We've hired people in the area um, to, you know, to, we built a, a small team around just, just betting and uh, we're fully, fully leaning into it. So you talked about you know, betting and the revenue opportunities there. We touched a little, a little bit upon your major partnerships uh, and I'm not sure how you can go into this and describe it comfortably, but be really interested to see you've got this whole media landscape. You've got all these different assets to play with. What's the pie look like in terms of for the media side? How, how, where does the revenue come from in terms of is betting a significant part of that yet? Is it a small piece of the pie? Is your direct to consumer offerings, you know, becoming something that's more prevalent? Where does it sit between your major partners, your, your D2C offerings, betting and so forth in terms of a, of a split? Yeah, I mean, I think if you ask any any major sport, um, they would tell you what I'm about to tell you, which is that the traditional 
uh, deals and partnerships that you have in place drive an overwhelming majority of the revenue still. Um, and I think for the foreseeable future, will that will be the case? You know, we we are in we're in deals through 2030 across the board with our media partners. So, um, you know, and, and we've just renewed in the U.S. and done extremely well. And so the 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 revenue that is coming from other sources, such as betting, or you know anything that we're doing non-live direct to consumer, is a tiny fraction of of what the the um, the traditional business generates. Um, and I think when you with the deals that you're seeing done right now, the, like the NFL just did an extension, baseball has done some extensions. The big media companies are not going anywhere. You know, they're just trying to sort of transform their business. And so, so for the, for the foreseeable future, um, you know, I think that would be the case. The thing that we're seeing that's really interesting is the betting companies um, are realizing that they want to be in the content business. And so they are hungry for content because they, they're also trying to attract people to their platforms to get them to bet. Whereas, we're, you know, we're trying to get people who bet to what come watch our, our platforms. And so that, that's going to be really interesting, I think, over the next three, four, five years is, you know, what rights will a DraftKings or a, a BetMGM acquire? Um, and you know, what, what kinds of deals will be done. And most of the, you know, in the United States, most of the, the significant sports are off the table. I think NBA is the next one to, um, to come up in a couple of years time here, but, um, but the, you know, they, they, they've been pretty forthright about they, they, the betting companies about, you know, wanting to move into the space. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. It's not one that we'll participate in. For a while, I can tell you, because of the, the way we're we're contracted. Um, but yeah, I think you know the the traditional businesses are still king for the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see, as you you said about the betting side uh, on the rights perspective, because we've seen that in Europe for some time, where betting companies have certainly dabbled into the OTT uh, and rights space themselves to try and bring bring uh, consumers to their platforms. Now, with consumption of streaming OTT services becoming more prevalent, you can imagine that's only going to be more of a more of an enticing option for them, as particularly as it becomes a bit of a a market grab for a lot of those those major major betting agencies. Um, let's do, let's shift the conversation over to um, the Golf TV uh, and the Discovery partnership. Um, now, from memory, uh, when it was launched, it was a twelve year, two billion dollar deal uh, was was on the headlines, um, which incorporated. Um, not only uh, building a golf TV platform, uh, also integration of European tour rights, but also your media rights outside of the US market, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Uh, have I missed anything in there? And, and what is what is exactly the, the framework of the relationship you do have with Discovery? Sure. No, it, it, it's a, it is a comprehensive uh, media partnership you know, outside the United States. So really all aspects of, of that business, Discovery are our partner. And so the, the way it functions, you know, there, there, is, there is the golf TV business itself, which uh, Discovery operate and, and our team works with them closely on the creation of content for that platform, delivery of feeds and all of the things that go into, you know, operating an OTT platform. 
but Discovery operates that platform, uh, you know, as part of as part of our deal. But we we partner closely on it, including on sales and sort of all aspects of it. Um, and then Golf TV is there, sitting there as a an option for us collectively on which to distribute our content. Uh, and then, but we are also fully engaged in the totality of the business, which includes all the major sub-licensing relationships um, around the world that we traditionally uh, did ourselves. Um, and now we do in, in partnership with Discovery. And um, that, that has gone exceedingly well. I mean, we've done, we've done some really uh, terrific deals out there, some in Europe. We've done a really interesting deal out in Korea, uh, partnering with uh, JTBC. Um, and, and we, we really just kind of operate that, that business together. Um, we have a, a key employee of ours who I think, you know, Thierry Pascal, who is essentially seconded to, um, discovery and, and still really drives a lot of the sub-licensing business living in London now. And, uh, it's just worked really well for us and we've been happy with the partnership. Um, they've been very happy with the content. You know, David Zasloff is a is a huge fan of the PGA Tour uh, and and our sport, and and his enthusiasm has been uh, a real treat in in partnership for sure. The timing of the deal is an interesting one because um, it was at the really, I guess, the beginning of the the proliferation of OTT as a, as a as a solution. Although you guys were doing your own D two C stuff, um, and the twelve year commitment gives them a runway to build. Uh, a platform and build a business that that can hopefully be a very successful operation uh, when it gets towards the end. Um, you're you're three uh, two years or so into that that sort of journey. Typically, in a lot of rights cycles across the Europe, UK and Europe, the media rights cycles themselves are about three or four years max. So, having that twelve year runway is obviously a huge opportunity for Discovery to build, build, and build. Um, is the jury still out on whether that's an un, uh, unbridled success as a, as a platform? Because obviously, as I said, building an OTT platform isn't easy as well. Uh, it's been a challenge for a lot of people to monetize and get audiences and so forth. Is the jury still out there or is it uh, you know, exceeded expectations with audience, uh, audience numbers and revenues? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think the best way to describe it is it's still really early. Um, and I think we've, we've been, we've been collectively, uh, happy and seen some real successes in some markets, other markets, we, we wish we, there was, there was more growth, um, and, and faster growth. Um, but the, the interesting dynamic is you, you said it well, you know, the, the point in time when we did that deal, it, if you look at, uh, if you create a, a three-year timeline of the, of the media landscape across the world, like how dramatically it's changed. From 18 to 21, and Discovery's no, you know, no um, uh, outsider to that process, right? They they launched Discovery Plus, uh, which was not in the in the offing, you know, when we did our deal. They're now uh, acquiring the Warner uh, Media assets from AT and T, which brings a whole different dynamic into play, including another streaming platform in HBO Max. And so, um, I think I think Discovery are are like a lot of media companies looking at uh, a lot of things that they did independently uh, properties and channels that they had that they that they were standing up independent um, 
digital platforms to support, you know, linear businesses largely. Um, and now like uh, NBC, like C CBS, uh, like Warner, um, like Disney are saying, right, no, what we really want to do is aggregate everything under one, under one uh, streaming service so that it becomes this very robust and powerful um, asset to stave off, uh, you know, the, the declines in traditional linear business. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're facing that across the board that with, uh, with their ownership of Eurosport, um, in, in the sports space, their, their Olympic rights, uh, what they're doing with us. And, and so, so the, the nature of those discussions have been spectacular in the sense that um, we're, we're, we're both just coming into it and saying, okay, how do we, how do we take advantage of this? How do we, how do we, um, you know, reconcile, you know, uh, a, an individual platform like off TV with discovery plus, how can we make it work for each other? And that, that, those are the discussions that, that we're in right now. And um, again, you know, I mentioned it earlier, it's, um, it's good to be a content owner in, in this landscape we have. And even, even with, within a deal that we have, it's nice to have a contract and say we have a contract, but um, their discovery are, are um, keenly happy with the content. Uh, they're just trying to figure out, you know, how do, how do we, how do we navigate what we were trying to do with discovery plus now with sort of what we were doing just like three short years ago. And, and that's, that's been the nature of the, the conversations. Sure. Well, that's probably a good spot to have it. Take a quick break and uh, we'll come back in just a second. And we're, we're back with, with Rick Anderson here. Let's talk a little bit about audiences. Um, and you talked about OTT and what, what Discovery have been, uh, been doing with building a platform business there. Um, but one of the things you often hear with golf, at least in societies, you hear, oh, well, golf's, golf's a sport for the oldies. It's not for the younger demographics. And you've got this, this stigma that's attached with, with golf. And I actually remember... We had Keith Pelly speak at one of our Sports Pro Live events a few years ago, and he he jumped and embraced it. He said, "Look, we own that sector. That's great. Like, there's nothing wrong with owning a demographic, um, and you know we're on top of it from a European tours perspective." And I think it really caught people by surprise to, uh, rather than defend that, actually embrace it. And we've heard similar in other sports as well. I'm wondering what's that looking like now for you? Are you seeing? Um, are you see? Is it still? It's still is it the case that what the general consumer might think is that, that 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 golf is consumed by an older demographic. We obviously heard a lot of coverage over the years around MLB's challenges with with an aging demographic. Or are you starting to see some of those numbers drop, particularly with not only the content uh, you guys are producing, but betting coming into play, and also some of the stars coming through? I'm no doubt bringing some younger audiences to the, to the, to the sport as well. Yeah, no, we're, we, you know, it's always, uh, it's always a focus to sort of grow and diversify your, your audience. Right. Um, and in our case, diversification includes getting younger, uh, because we, we, we do have an older audience, but I, I agree with Keith. Um, I like our, our old affluent audience, you know, it's served us really well for as long as I've worked at the PGA tour, but you all, you know, if you're not doing your job, if you're not trying to grow and get bigger and, 
bring people into the sport. And we have a lot of really positive dynamics in that respect right now. You know, our, our social media presence and platforms um, skew really young. They, they skew um, on some of the platforms like Facebook you know, more heavily to women um, than, than our traditional linear broadcasts. Those platforms have grown dramatically uh, and they're, they're doing really well. And so, you know, how, how, how well and efficiently we can, we can translate that audience to, um, to our, our linear broadcasts or um, start to get comfortable with that audience in and of itself. And so how do we then take advantage of that from a financial standpoint um, and, and, and consumption standpoint? And we do look at consumption very differently now uh, than, than we used to. Uh, every, every, every report that we get every week is this, uh, what we call cross-platform consumption metrics, which I'm, I know everyone's using and, and, and we sell against that too. Now, you know, we, we don't just talk about who watches our shows. We talk about our, you know, the audience that we have in social media. So, so that's been a big opportunity. We do think that the move back to ESPN, especially on ESPN plus, uh, will, will put us in front of a much younger audience. Uh, and then, as you said, betting, betting is a big opportunity, I think, for for moving us closer to um, to to a, young, a younger audience who may, you know, not be necessarily interested in golf, but they figure out they like to bet on it. And, and so there they are uh, engaging. So and, and, then, and then the last thing I would say is another silver lining of the pandemic um, for our sport is the participation levels around the world are through the roof. I mean, up dramatically 30, 40%. And that's helping us too. I mean, we have a lot of young people that got out and started playing the game and, and, you know, you should be able to take advantage of that and, and migrate people to being your, uh, a fan. So, so you've, we've talked a lot about the major partnerships, media rights you have in place and deals you have in place that generate an incredible amount of income and opportunity and audience for, for the PGA Tour. Um, we've talked a little bit just now about audiences and, and the, the push to, to drive younger audiences. Social media obviously has to play a, a huge role in that. How, how do you find, again, social media fits in that, that media mix? I'm imagining that... It's much more of an audience builder, um, sort of top of the marketing funnel stuff where you're getting them to connect with the, with the PGA Tours, highlights, clips, and so forth, more versus being a monetization tool. Is that, is that about right? You know, it's really, it's really both. Um, I, I think, you know, as I said, we've, we've been able to, to grow those audiences dramatically and they, they have scale at this point in, in and of themselves that is attractive to the sponsors that we have and, and to independent advertisers. And so, you know, we, we have, we have very carefully moved into sort of what I would call the branded content space where, you know, we're delivering content on those platforms that we think the audiences based on everything that we know about them will engage with, um, and enjoy. Um, but, um, that, but carry a sponsor. And, and, you know, uh, and the, the, the clever ways that the, the sales and, and the content people come up with to make that as uh, meaningful as possible to the sponsor, but as unobtrusive as possible for the, 
for the uh, for the audience, and we're doing pretty well with that. And we we see it as a growing area um, for delivery of value for someone who's a big ticket uh, type sponsor, or official marketing partner, or title sponsor. You know, paying millions and millions of dollars um, for the association, and that's another place that we can deliver value. But you have to do it so carefully because you can lose those audiences like that if you start doing things that annoy them. Yeah, they just uh, they're just gone. <laughs> sort of you know instant feedback. But um, we're pretty happy with the direction of that and our ability to grow it as an as an audience and monetize it in, into itself instead of you know maybe the way we we're thinking about it five years ago was was well that's great. But how do we get them to watch the broadcast so we get our ratings up? You know, the mindset has just really, really changed a lot. Absolutely. We're fast running out of time here, so I'm conscious of, uh, of, of your time, Rick, and, and thank you again for getting involved. But one quick last question for you is we haven't really had a chance to talk about Torcast and, and what impact that's had on, on consumption of the live broadcast. Could you just quickly paint the picture of what is Torcast exactly, what is the breadth of it, and how, how has that changed you know, cons- consumption numbers for you? Yeah, Torcast is just an amazing, amazing product. It get, gets better and better all the time. In fact, you know, it's gotten so good that our, some of our broadcasters are going, well, what's going on over here? You know, this is this looks like a, a really good way to consume a tournament. And it, and if you think about it, it, it in, a, in, a, in a 3D environment, it, it is able to to show you exactly with rich data, you know, information on every live shot that's hit. Um, and, and, and the, we're really just kind of getting started with that, but you can, you really can follow and consume, uh, a, a tournament and, or around the, of your favorite player with Tourcast. And it, it, um, it also contains video highlights and, um, it's just a, it's a rich product. It is now our second most popular, uh, product behind our, uh, our leaderboard, which, you know, on our digital platforms, Leaderboard is is where you come, and uh, Tourcast is fast growing. Uh, people engage with it for over sixty minutes, you on average when they're there. Um, and we've we've gotten up in a really rapid time to what you know, well over one hundred and sixty thousand users and uniques at various times. So it's a pretty good product, and uh, we're excited about it. And um, you know, it really just kind of scratching the surface of what we think it can be. Well, good stuff. I think that's that's a pretty good spot to wrap up. For those who haven't seen the Torcast in action, do go check it out. It is a pretty awesome product. Rick, I want to thank you again for joining us. Great to get an insight into what you're doing at PGA Tour. It's an incredible operation and, and you guys continue to go from strength to strength. So thank you for joining us and uh, look forward to seeing what's next at the PGA Tour. Thank you, Nick. Always, always a pleasure. Talk to you later.